Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Happy Easter. Come on. How are we doing today? Here we go. Here's the test, and I always want to give the answer before the test, because I grew up in a Catholic church where they would say things, and I would have no idea what to say back, because everyone else said stuff. So I'm going to say he is risen, and you are going to say he is risen indeed. If you want to feel a little extra this morning, throw out an hallelujah if you would like. All right, so here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Come on, somebody. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, let's go. How are y'all doing? Are you sure? Okay, great. That is fantastic. Um, favorite Sunday of the year. Hands down. It is my favorite Sunday of the year. I love getting to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with my church family, my favorite people in the world. And so uh, here we are. We're doing it. Wasn't worship? Worship was awesome, wasn't it? I keep telling myself, if you keep singing like this, you're not gonna be able to preach through that third service. And, and then there's just a little part of my flesh that dies. I'm just like, I don't care. I'm singing and I'm gonna scream. My voice is gonna crack. Whatever happens, happens from here. So we're gonna go for it. Um, a little, just a little family update for you guys before we jump into the message that we have uh, regarding our King Jesus, who is the risen lamb, um, is just, we put before you guys a need last week, the last few weeks, uh, about a, we're trying to build a couple widow's homes down in Guatemala. Well, we said, oh, a widow's home. See, we have a, a team of our, our youth ministry is going down to Guatemala this summer. And the hope is that we can send some money ahead of them and they can begin building a home for this widow who does not have a home, a roof to put over her head right now. And so last week we told you guys we're about 1500 bucks short and you guys gave enough to do two widows homes. So we are, yes, we're going to actually send that money down there at the beginning of May, build two homes for these widows and our youth group will get to furnish it, finish it, and then hand them the keys as they are down there in Guatemala. So that'll be awesome. Thank you, church, for being consistently just the most generous people that I get to spend time with. So love you guys. Um, Easter morning. It's awesome. I love Easter. And, and at the same time, I have a great temptation as a pastor to try to put a new spin on the same message that we preach every year. Do you feel that? Like, do you feel tired with Easter sermons yet? How many have you been to in your life? And they're all the same. Like, it's, it's great. The words for this morning, it's as simple as this. Celebration and invitation. We are celebrating what King Jesus has done triumphantly out of the grave. And I'm also inviting you into that story this morning, if you have never made that decision uh, for yourself. But it's, it's tempting. I got to tell you, I'm looking at the gospel. I'm looking at the story. I'm looking at the verse. And in some ways, I feel like I'm trying to dress up the most beautiful diamond that there ever was. And, it's, and I reach this point where I'm like, why on earth am I trying to put lipstick on this diamond? Like I'm, at some point, if you try to dress it up too much, you're just going to ruin it, right? And yet here I am. And, I, and there's times on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, where I think one of the most fruitful things we could do, my mind goes to, man, let's just prove the historicity of the resurrection. Because there's actually tons of historical evidence around the resurrection of Christ. Like Jesus was a very real person and they really can't find his body. Like it's gone. And, and, and you start looking at the theories of, of why his body isn't there anymore. And they just, if you're an intellectually honest person, which I hope all of us can be this morning, they don't hold any water. They don't make any sense. It's like, well, Jesus wasn't really dead. It's like, really? The Romans who had perfected crucifixion and execution accidentally didn't kill Jesus? I mean, there's just all these theories. None of them hold water. So I want to go through the historicity of it. But, and then I, I have times where I just, I want to just, I want to try my best to convince you with this 30 minutes of mine that Jesus is a better way to live your life than the way that you're living it right now. 
And I just want to sell all the good things there are about following Jesus because there are a lot of good aspects to following Jesus. And I want to just try to convince you. But then I realize after I start putting all those things together, I can't convince anyone of anything. I can't. I, I mean, look at just all the information age that we live in, all the stuff that's going around right now. You can barely be convinced of anything if you just get wind of some sort of conspiracy theory. It's always it's like, no, 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 that, that can't be it. That must be it. So how am I going to convince you this morning in 30 minutes that Jesus rose from the dead and that he changed your life for forever? No, instead, what I think is a better use of our time this morning is I want to walk us through the brokenness that all of humanity feels, and I want to show us the Savior. That's all I want to do in our time together today. Because the world is broken. We feel it all the time. You feel it in the pain and the sting in your own life. Decisions that you try to make that you don't want to make anymore, but you keep finding yourselves making them. Or you want to be resolved to keep making this good decision, and you can't do it for more than like, I don't know, three days? Maybe you're a superhero and you can go like seven days before you break, right? There, there's the tragedy of the, the fragility that we have as human beings. Like death is still the answer that nobody can solve. It's, it's coming for all of us, right? I mean, we have all the strife that happens in family, all the division that's happening in culture. You're probably going to sit at the table with somebody this Easter, this lunch, and like, please don't remind me. It's, it's going to be tense. I can't talk about this subject. I can't talk about that thing. Otherwise, this whole thing is going to be over. The world is broken. And guess what? It's not just the world. Like, I, I can't control even, like, how, how my kids behave in any given day that I send them to school. As a parent, I'm realizing just how hopelessly broken the world is because I have no control over my kids. I, I have no control over how they speak. My, my son has quit calling me dad. He now only refers to me as bruh. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, Harrison, go clean your room. He doesn't even say all of bruh. He just goes, bruh. <laughs> Come on, bruh. Like, what are, what are you saying? Like, I'm expecting some sort of answer like, yes, Father, I will be doing that with haste. Right? Like, how, is, that so, is that so hard to ask, you know? All I get is a bra. Like, what are you doing, you know? Like, what is this? How are we even speaking at this point? Listen, it's not, it's not just that the world is broken. I, I'm also painfully aware of the fact that I'm broken. I, I give into compulsions I don't want to give into. I have impatient like, I'm impatient at times, and it shocks me my level of impatience, even though I serve a God who has been nothing but patient for me. And, and yet with people I love, friends, my kids, I, I can struggle with impatience. Traffic, good Lord, I struggle with impatience. You too, right? I've seen some of y'all driving out there on the street, like, what? it's tough out there. I think of myself as a pretty even keel person. I don't let my anger or my emotions get the best of me. That's what I thought, at least. Last week, I was at my, my son's football game. We take the family dog with us, of course. His name's Archie. If you think that's all I talk about in my sermons, I haven't talked about Archie since Christmas, so you should come to church more often. Um, I just love you enough to say it's good for you. You should come to church, right? We're sitting there with this dog uh, who's adorable, but he's also just a complete moron, right? So he's high energy all the time, bouncing around all the time. He's trying to get away. He sees a dog and he goes ballistic, right? And he's barking. So I was like, no bark, shut up. Just would you stop? And you know, it's towards the end of the game, people everywhere, two games going on in the field at one time, people all across the way in front of us, the stands, all these kids sitting in front of us. And lo and behold, the leash breaks, right? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> and it's like he does, I mean, he's pulling on it and it snaps and he kind of like, and I, I could just see it in his eyes, like he tasted freedom <laughs> that he'd never known before. And he just, and he just takes off like, and I don't know if it's like the Enneagram type three in me or whatever it is, but like, I, I don't like looking like an idiot in front of other people. 
and here I am, I'm running around this broken leash, chasing him around. I'm like, this is my worst nightmare. Like, just kill me. Just take me out of this whole situation. As this guy's like weaving on into the players on the field, like they're on the sideline, but just like going back and forth. And praise God, some lady that doesn't even like dogs, I find out later, just bends down because he's so dumb. He just is like, oh, and runs up to her. She grabs her and I was like, thank you. I grabbed the dog and you come here, you sit by me and you're never moving again. I'm just holding his little harness collar thing. And I realized sometime later in the week, it wasn't in that moment, that Jesus' words say that if you have anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder, right? And I realized in that moment, like I murdered that dog over and over and over in my mind. (laughs) I played it out for days afterwards, actually. I was like, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to get rid of him. (laughs) It's fun to be fun on Easter, but we all recognize that there's brokenness in us. Every single one of us. We have areas of our heart that we just, we thought would be better by now. Even, even the most joyous, longstanding Christians in this room are not as far along as you'd hope to be yet, I would imagine, because I'm like you. And we all have this brokenness that is in us. And over the last several weeks, what we've tried to do thoughtfully is walk through Jesus's last few days of his life. Because I think intuitively, as, as human beings, we all know that the, the last moments that you get in your life are the most significant moments. I mean, any last words is a famous line that even a bad guy would recognize that he owes to the person that he's taking their life, right? We can all think, what are the last things that I want to say? What are the, what's the last conversation I want to have with this loved one? Because, because death is coming for all of us. And even if somebody has lived a long, good life, it still comes quicker than we'd hoped it would, right? And so we think about last words, last moments, last things that we're going to leave on. What is your legacy that you're going to leave behind even after you're gone? What are the last impressions that you're going to leave with somebody close to you in your life that you care about deeply? This is what we've been trying to do. See, because Jesus, there's, there are four uh, books of the gospel. There's four um, accounts of Jesus' life. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as they're writing about this rabbi, this teacher that they've given their life to, that they understand to be the Messiah, the king of the world, as they're documenting his everyday adventures, what they write in the last third, a third of their gospels go to Jesus's last week, a third. He'd been on this planet for 33 years and they capture a third, 33% of what they write in one seven day stretch. The gospel of John is actually even greater. In the Gospel of John, he captures almost 50% of his writing is, is trying to figure out what Jesus was doing in his last week. And so we looked at his last teaching. His last teaching shows us very clearly that there are, there are two eternal destinations in the end. And there's two kinds of people. And every single person, whether you're going to heaven or whether you're going to hell, at some point we realize it's too late to change our eternal destination. That's his last teaching. Then he goes into his last meal that he has. It's called the Last Supper. Famous scene, right? You've probably seen the painting of it where Jesus is sitting with his closest friends, probably a lot more awkward than it looks in the painting because he's like, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all like, who me, who me, who me? And then Judas is like, yeah, you, sorry, bro. Rough day, right? Not exactly. It's the Austin Dykeman version, okay? Give me some liberty this morning. <laughs> but in the Last Supper, what he gives us is he gives us the, he gives us the, the, the sacraments or the, the practice of communion. That's what we call it now where we come before the table of the Lord. We remember that last supper where Jesus in his, in his famous words took this loaf of bread and he blessed it. He gave thanks for it. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. As in never forget the sacrifice that I'm about to make for you. Never forget that it was my blood that has washed your sins white as snow. 
So Jesus gives us this last meal, this last supper to be reminded of. And then he goes into his last night. After supper ends, at some time, the dishes are all clean. He walks out. He's in this garden, in this park uh, called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's this olive garden known as the, the olive press. And it's where Jesus endures the, the crushing of Gethsemane where he starts to feel the weight and the totality and the reality of everything that he has set forth to do on the cross is starting to hit him. And, and in this moment of, of humanity, he recoils at the pain that is being poured out on him. He says, God, if there's any other way, let this, let this cut pass from me. As in, I, I don't want to do this anymore. But nevertheless, not my will be done, O Lord, but yours be done. And Jesus shows us in this moment what true surrender to him looks like. When we say, I lay my life down at the feet of Jesus, what we're saying is, just like Jesus laid his life down to the Father, we're saying, God, I trust you. Come what may, I trust you. And then on Friday, for those of you who were here when we celebrated our Good Friday service, it seems like there's nothing good about Good Friday unless you understand what's happening on Sunday. Because what we saw on Good Friday is the immense suffering that Jesus felt as he gave up his last breath on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the one who knew no sin had become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus becomes our sin. He takes our payment. He gives his life on the cross. He says, Father, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. What triumphant words from our Savior, our King. It is finished. And today we're not celebrating the last days of Jesus anymore. But just like we read at the very beginning of the service, that it was dawn on the first day of the week when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb, expecting to find a corpse, expecting to see a dead body. They were not prepared for resurrection. Well, we have such a privileged position in history where we look back and we know the end of the story. But to be the disciples in that moment, everything was over. The whole plan had been crushed. They were devastated. They were afraid. They were running away from someone who they had given their life to for the last few years. They said, guess it wasn't it. They weren't sitting down waiting until dawn with their little countdown timer going, 10, 9, 8, here it comes. He's going to resurrect. No, they were hopeless. They were broken. They were scattered. They were afraid. But then on the first day, Jesus takes his first breath. He is the first to be triumphant over sin. He is the first to leave behind the punishment and the sting of death. He leaves it in the grave. And on the first day of the week, he ushers in a new age, an age that you and I now live in where death has been defeated. The pain of sin has been swallowed up in Christ's victory on the cross. Hello, church. Are you here this morning? Because on the first day, Here's how Paul writes it as succinctly as he can in his theological work of the book of Romans. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, meaning that you and I don't have to. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So on the first day of the week, Jesus changed everything. He changed it all. 
He has now ushered in this brand new age where, where I, I find myself frequently wondering on a morning like this, celebration Sunday of Easter, the resurrection, we're going for it, we're singing loud. And I wonder why is the church, when we know this is our moment, we still are content to live the rest of the year playing so safe. Praying safe prayers, being timid, acting like it's the church that's on her heels when really it's the kingdom of darkness that cowers in fear. It's, the, it's at the name of Jesus that every demon will flee and every demon will shudder. Why is it, church, that we act like we're being defeated in the culture we're living in when we know that the tomb is still empty, the word is still speaking, the gospel is still good news, he's still healing, he's still saving, we've been set free, you've been adopted into an everlasting family called the church. And it's the gates of hell that won't prevail against us, church. So I wonder why we shrink back so much when the call of God is to say, no, step in, step in. And I think it's because we've, we don't think we're good enough really to be following after Jesus in this kind of triumphant victory that he brings about on the cross. Right, because I, I think about Jesus' first day after he's been resurrected. I've been challenging us a lot over the last few weeks. Man, think about if this was your last day on planet earth, what is it that you would do? How would you live your life differently if you knew that it was your last day, Right? It's a compelling, stirring question, but now I want to ask, and then if you were resurrected, what would you do? What would you do? What things would you set back to be right again? What plan would you put in place? How would you fix things? And man, I, I just think about Jesus' first day. How would I do it if I was Jesus and I was resurrected from the dead? What would I do that first 24 hours? Well, Jesus does nothing that I would do, actually. No surprise. I mean, he's kind of a wizard like that in the way he kind of like does things back. And he's not a wizard, magic. Don't, don't worry about it, Okay. <laughs> Nobody email me, please, about that. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. If I'm Jesus, first day I get resurrected, I got some things to say to my friends. I, I've got some good friends in my life. I've said, hey, no matter what's happened in my life, no matter what things got me kicked down, no matter what's going on, you, you step in and you help me out. And Jesus had those kinds of friends. He had, he had told them all what was going to happen. And Peter, you know, he pulls up his pants or whatever, and he's just like, I will never deny you, Jesus. And then a slave girl's like, you know him? And he's like, oh, no, I don't. I'm sorry. Peter, what the heck, bro? Where were you? Some friend bails on him. Everyone bails on him. He's completely forsaken by those who he had trusted most. He's completely abandoned. I'd have some things to say to my friends if I came back from the dead, and I, I'd be hot. I'd be frustrated. You know what I mean? You know who else I'd go to? I'd probably go to my mom. Jesus' mom had a front row seat to his crucifixion. So much so that there, there are some of the theories that say it was, it was maybe, maybe it just actually wasn't Jesus. He was so marred, he was so wounded that nobody could recognize him. So maybe it wasn't Jesus that was killed. Except his mom was on the front row watching him carry that cross. I'd want to just go to my mom and be like, mom, I'm okay. I'm all right. It's okay, mom. The, the plan is going as it meant to go. I'm here. I'm okay. Right? I'd, for darn sure, I'd be going to talk to the religious leaders. Right? Annas and Caiaphas, I'd be like, I have some things to say to you, uh-huh, who just had me killed. I don't think I'd even go in there and I wouldn't say a bunch of stuff to him at first. I, I would just kind of like poke my head in their little meeting because they're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to clean this up? How are we going to make this look like it wasn't a real thing? How are we going to get, get ourselves out of the situation? About Jesus, I just poke my head in the room and as soon as someone looked at me, I'd just dip back, right back out again. <laughs> so they'd be like, was that, did you, was that Jesus that just poked? Okay, hold on. What's going on? I just keep messing with them. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be fun? No, but for real, I think what I would actually do, like I, I'm Jesus. You know, we celebrate Easter on one day. The early church recognizes the season of Easter tide, which represents the 50 days that Jesus had from when he was resurrected to when he ascended. So Jesus had 50 days 
to strat up this whole situation with the church, to figure it all out, to put this plan in place. He's like, man, we got we to gotta get you guys some quarter one rocks. We got to get you some goals. We got to put some things down so that you would know what to do because I'm about to leave again and you need some strategy because you guys are terrible at this thing so far, Right? <laughs> Like somebody get Jesus a whiteboard so he can start getting some goals down. He's like, okay, listen, this message has got to go to the outermost parts of the earth. So you guys got to work on that. You got to have some missionary strategy. Send some people all around the place. Uh, listen, you guys got to love not your own lives even unto death because Rome's, don't mess with Rome. They're going to kill some of you fools. Right? So like, and Jesus, listen to me. Jesus doesn't do any of that from what we can read. No, what Jesus does is he goes and he encourages his friends that he loves them. So he, you have Mary Magdalene first, known as the other Mary, right? It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's not Mary that has some sort of prestige that we look back on. No, it's, it's that Mary who was filled with seven demons at one point. The one who had no social clout, the one who had no political power, who had no real influence in her life at all. He goes to that Mary first and he says, hey, go and tell the other. So the first one to go and proclaim the good news is this broken and hurting woman. She's the first carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first one to preach it to the other people. So Mary goes, then he goes, he, at some point he has to go and he has to find Peter because Peter just, what a, what a broken mess of shame Peter would have been sitting in. Three chances. He told me I had three chances and three times they said it and I denied him and then the rooster crowed and I knew, I looked at him, we made eye contact and I just broke because I let down my friend, I'd let down the savior of the world. So he goes back to fishing, the only thing he knows how to do. And Jesus in the most beautiful display of restoration comes to Peter in three different times. He's like, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, care for the flock. Feed my lambs. Peter, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He gives him these three beautiful redemptive chances to come back into the story. Right? And then you have, you have Thomas, right? Thomas is probably my favorite because they're, you know, disciples are having this secret meeting. They're hiding out. And they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus is been raised from the dead. And they're trying to like figure out all that means. And, and Jesus shows up and then Thomas comes in like late, you know? <laughs> He's got hung up. His like donkey had a flat tire or something like that. So he rolls in. He's like, He's like what's up guys? You know? What's everyone talking about? And uh, I just imagine they're like, dude, I mean, Jesus, was just, did you see him on the way out? Like Jesus was just here. Like, dude, I, I missed it. No way. No, dude, the guy who was crucified? Like, no, he's dead. I didn't, I didn't see him. And the kindness of God to come up to him, the kindness of Jesus to come to him, say, Thomas, it's me. Look, it's me. I love you. Put, put your hand right here. Feel this. Look, it's me. I promise it's me. The gospel of John says all of these things happened. All of these, all of these appearances to the disciples happened. And Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's beautiful to me that even after encountering the resurrection Jesus, after his first days in his resurrected body, it says that some of the believers worshiped and some doubted. So for all of us in this room, who are sitting on the sideline of church, only coming a couple times a year, convincing ourselves that we're not really those kinds of Christians that get in the game. We're not really witnessing. We're not really doing it. We're not really living in. We don't believe that we're gifted. We don't believe we were adopted. We just have these reservations. We're sitting back. We're timid when we talk to people about Jesus, even though the king of the universe has adopted me into his family. Like, what do I have to be afraid of? Right? We're timid because we're convinced that that we're not good enough. But this, I, look, I love this quote from Philip Yancey. Jesus is the first world leader to inaugurate a kingdom with a heroic role for losers. Yours truly, signing up. Where do I follow? This is who our God is. This is who he picks. There's no other team. There's only people who are 
frail, broken, timid, afraid. And Jesus says, I love you. Let's get to work. I love you. Let's go. So church, don't let celebration just be a celebration today where we eat some delicious ham and do a little egg hunt or whatever it is that your family does. I don't even really care. But let's make today an igniting moment in our hearts that says, no, I want to press all into my King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to serve him with everything that I have. I'm going to go get it because the kingdom of darkness is terrified of me. And then on the other side of that, I just have the invitation to jump into the story. Maybe you haven't believed this story ever in your life. You've heard some guy dressed in funny clothes like I am right now. I don't dress like this every Sunday, but you know, Jesus rose from the dead so I can wear a little pink on my shirt. Like it's okay, you know? Maybe you've heard a pastor saying this message over and over again. I just wonder how many Easter messages are you going to keep listening to before you finally just yield? See, because culture, the world that we're living in today is so oriented around the self, like you. And so if you just want to feel awesome about the mediocrity in your own life, like you don't have to go that far to be reaffirmed in it. Whether it's a therapist or whether it's a friend, you could be making horrible decisions right now. And I bet you have a phone contact like that you could get a hold of right now. They'd be like, no, no, you're awesome. Yeah, you just did this horrific thing to your family, but you're not that bad of a guy. Right? Like we just, we love celebrating the self. I think it breaks down in a few different ways. We love self-affirmation in our world. We love to just be affirmed in who we are. Don't question me. Don't question my story. Don't come at me with me. Like I just, I'm doing me right now and it's okay. How's that working out for you? Really, I, I just believe that you have this deep cry in your soul that's asking, is this all that I'm really living for right now? My job, my family, my friends, and then when I just, when I die someday, like it just, that's all, that's it? Man, I, I know you have that question going on in your soul because I had it going on in my soul. I still remember, I was, I was probably in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I was in middle school, I know, because I was walking down that hill from Conrad Ball down to Mary Blair Elementary School. And I remember just like looking out and I just remember thinking like, is this really all there is in life? It's just like, at the time I was thinking like, middle school is so hard. Like, is this it? <laughs> How ridiculous, right? Like middle school. I remember I had that cry in my soul. See, C.S. Lewis, the, the famous author and, and thinker says, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only expectation that I can conclude is that I was made for another world. And that's what I'm saying of you today. You were made for another world. You were made to belong into this story of King Jesus. But we're so, we're so obsessed with affirming ourselves, even though Jesus' teaching is exactly the opposite. Don't affirm yourself. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. He says, I didn't come to save those who think of themselves as healthy. I came to save those who are sick and in need of a savior, who are in need of a doctor, right? It's not just self it's not just self-affirmation, but it's self-gratification. We totally live in this like carpe diem, seize the day, YOLO kind of world where it's like, man, just do whatever it is that you want to do. Just make hay while the sun shines, have some fun, present your body worn out and rugged by the time you're done. And that's it. Just have a good time. But Jesus doesn't say to gratify yourself. He says, no, I, I am the bread of life. He's like, you're trying to satisfy yourself with all these other things that are going on, but there's no amount of money that will ever fix that broken hole in your heart. And you know how I know that? is because at one point you said, if I just make this much money, I'll be good. And now you make that much money and you're still not good. That's not going to fix it. 
You can't just gratify your desires. You can't just do whatever it is that you want to do. No, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me will never hunger or thirst again. He's not speaking, speaking of physically never getting thirsty again when he says to the woman at the well, uh, I am the water, I am the well that never runs dry. What he's saying is, no, that answer in your soul, that angst that's deep inside of you, I'm the remedy to it. And if you follow after me, if you give your life to me, then you will be satisfied at a soul level that you've never felt before. It's not just self-affirmation or gratification. It's also self-satisfaction. I say, man, just do whatever feels good. Just do whatever it is that you want to do. But again, Jesus says, no, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I kind of feel like um, it's part of my role this morning for some of you who are just living as you're the captain of your own boat right now, if you want to say it that way, just driving your own destiny. I, I got back into watching the Hunger Games movies because I heard there was a new one coming out. You know, Woody Harrelson's character, Hamish, the guy with the long hair. I just like, he has that line in the first one where, uh, I, if, if you don't watch Hunger Games, if you don't care, uh, let's just tune out for a sec. I'll be right back. Um, <laughs> but he says to, to Peta and to Katniss as they're trying to like make a strategy how to survive the games. And what does he say to him? Embrace the probability of your imminent death and know that in your heart, there's nothing I can do to save you. I can't save you. I can't make this decision for you. I've been praying all week that the Holy Spirit would somehow draw you in in this moment. And I believe that the only reason you're still listening right now is because the Holy Spirit has just have you leaned in a little bit. And you're going, I, I do want something more for this life. I, I, I don't think this is it. I don't think these things that I keep turning to are ever gonna fix it. And they're not, you're right. They're never gonna fix it. If we go to 1 Corinthians 15, this is how Paul writes the resurrection. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he, was that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Meaning this story happened exactly how God said it was gonna happen. He goes on to say, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It can't save you. You're still in your sins. He goes on to say, and if this story isn't true, then we as Christians, we as believers are to be pitied most above everyone else. Well, here's my question for you. What if it is true? What if it's all true? What if it's completely true? What if you're convinced that the last thing that you would ever want from today is to become one of those church people? But I'm saying, what about, what about you consider today having the first moments with your relationship with Jesus? You're convinced that, man, the, the last thing that I need is this guy telling me what to do. But I'm just trying to say, you could tomorrow have the first day of the rest of your life. That's the power of this story. It's the power of the gospel. If we go back to Romans 6, verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So here is the counterintuitive nature of what Jesus teaches. Is that even though we're so obsessed with ourself, he says, no, lay yourself down. As in, surrender. Surrender your life to Jesus. And say, I'm, I'm done leading this on my own. I just want you to drive, God. I want to take my bad decisions. I want to give them to you. And I want, to, I want you to lead the way from here. This is all it means. And, and when you do that, Jesus is promising that as you, as you die to yourself, he will raise you up in him. And when you're raised up in him, all the mistakes that you made in the past, they're not completely blemish-free according to your record. You are spotless when God looks at you. You have been set free from whatever it is that holds you back, whatever it is that holds you down the snare that you have stuck in your life, you can let go of it if you give it to Jesus. I'm not sitting here trying to give you this picture of Jesus and resurrection that says, if you just give your life to him, all the bad things will go away. But what I am saying 
is that he'll be with you no matter what, even in the middle of all the bad things. And God somehow in his infinite wisdom is gonna take every single thing in your life and in my life, everything the enemy tried to work together for evil, he's gonna use it for his good. It's the biggest plot twist there ever was. And it's backwards from how we think. We think we got to just muscle up, save ourselves, do these church things, come to church, start hanging out with Christian people. So we start talking like them and acting like them. And it's like, no, all you need to do is surrender to Jesus. Let the rest of the church family stuff work itself out because it is messy. Gosh, looking at most of the faces that I see every single week, like we're not perfect. Oh, somebody better say amen real quick or I'm gonna come. (laughs) Amen, Austin, you're first. Okay. Right? Here's here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. As we end this today, I want to give a space for celebration and invitation. So I want to pray in just a moment. And as I'm praying, I want us as the church to really rally around the fact that the tomb is empty. And so we don't have to be timid. We can take risks. We can be bold. We can share the gospel. We can go take the hill. The ground's already been won in Jesus' name. Amen? And then I want to give a moment for an invitation for you to respond to this truth that you just heard. And I've just kind of felt a stirring all week. This is maybe not the most churchy thing. Uh, I want to have you, if you want to decide to receive Jesus for the first time while I'm praying, there's a moment I'm going to ask you to stand. And you're like, man, that's weird. Listen, we're celebrating the fact that a dead guy came back to life. This whole thing's kind of weird. Can we be honest? (laughs) This whole story's weird. You hang out with this church long enough, you're just going to see more weird stuff. I promise you. Yeah. But I want you to stand because I think that physical response of surrendering really puts it on the table that you mean it and you want this to stick. So if we could, if you're willing, would you just put your hands out in front of you like this? And could we all just with our own voice say, come Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray that you would help us magnify your work, your beauty, what you've done on the cross and help us see what that means for our life. Help us to put off the spirit of timidity. Help us to walk with courage and with boldness. Help us to abide in your love, knowing that you paid the ultimate price so that you could have relationship with us. Help us to keep turning back to you when we make mistakes. It's the same gospel that we have been saved, that we will be saved by, that we cling to for forever, that we want to continue finding new life in you. So help us, Jesus, remain in you. Help us turn our gaze up towards you continually. Help us to continually just represent you and be your ambassador wherever it is that we go from here. We love you, Jesus. And for the people in the room right now who have never made this decision to follow Jesus, my invitation is just to pray something as simple as this. God, I give my life to you. I lay it down at your feet. I've tried doing this on my own. I'm tired of feeling tired. I want to feel lifted up. I want to feel encouraged. I want to feel seen. I want to feel known. I want to feel forgiven from the things that I've done in my life. Jesus, meet this person in this moment. Help them to see you clearly. All you have to do is you say, God, I just, I trust you. I believe in your resurrection. Help me now to follow after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you just responded to that for the first time, I know I said it was going to be weird, but if you could, would you just stand right where you're at? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, guys. You can go and have a seat. Hey, come on. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of you guys. Um, I have just a few things that I want to 
let you know about, just like Taylor had already announced this, but um, if you have never been baptized before, I think there's a lot of you who maybe made a decision for Jesus, but you just never took that step to get baptized. Taylor mentioned it earlier. We have a baptism class actually that's happening next week. And so come back next week, hear about what baptism is. You can hear about what it's not. We can really, we just want to make sure that you're prepared to get baptized at the end of this month, that that's the step that you need to take. In the book of Acts, we saw that everyone who believed was baptized. This is an important step for every believer in Jesus. And so if you just gave your life to the Lord, this is your next step. It's, it's your next step to put that faith, that inward decision now on display for the rest of the world to see. We see it here in Acts 2 that repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. The next thing that I want to let you know, I, I really didn't mean to like act like you oversold the gift bag first service, man. I just wanted to acknowledge that really it's, it's less of a gift and it's more of a few connection points into our church. And so there's a sticker. It's this sticker. You could put it on anything you want to. But what I really want to point you to is if you, uh, if you just kind of feel stuck in following after Jesus, if the Bible feels muddled to you and you don't really understand what it's saying, we, we put a book in there. It's a, our gift to you. And it just is, it's simply called Following Jesus. And it's just a little step-by-step. Step. Here's what some of this means. Here's some of the language. Here's how you can read your Bible. Here's how you can pray. Those kinds of things. I would love to give that to you. And there's some ways that you can get connected because I know that, I know that it's awkward and it's intimidating to get connected into a church family. I remember being the 18-year-old the who came in and realized like, oh, everyone seems really good here and I'm just not really sure how I fit in. Well, we want to make it easy for you to fit in so you can get connected through that. And then I do want to invite you. We are going to be starting a series next week through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John is, you know, he's self-proclaimed Jesus's best friend. So we kind of believe him because he got into scripture that way. So it must be true, right? He's like, he's like, I'm the fastest and I'm his best friend. So what up, you know, but um, <laughs> if you know, you know, if you don't, you don't, it's fine. But really what this is, it's Jesus's best friend encouraging the church on how to live and walk in a holy and blameless way before him. And so we need this book. We're gonna be going through this for the next seven weeks. I'd love to invite you back. Hey, let's stand. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. You are so good. You are so awesome. You're so inspiring and wondrous in how you behave and how you act. Help us to live more like you. Help the resurrection that you endured, that you went through, that you invite us into. Help this not just be a one momentary Sunday morning celebration. Help this be a way of life for our church, Jesus. We love you so much. Help us celebrate well today. We love you and it's in your name we pray, amen. 